Welcome to a too much effing perspective rock and roll recreation where we replay one of our effing favorite episodes from the past. I'm your host, as I was the first time, <laughs> Alan Keller. And I'm your co-host, as I was the first time, Alex Hoffman. And today we're featuring our chit chat with Joey Santiago from one of the most influential bands in music history, the Pixies. Now, as you know, Alex, Joey and I met because our daughters, Sonny and Valentina, went to the same grade school together. You seem to have met a lot of our guests that way. <laughs> well, if you want to meet celebrities in L.A., have kids or cast a crypto commercial. <laughs> it's an age-old axiom. Right. Anyway, right. just to tell you what a good guy Joey is, and I have to say this because I was very touched by this. A couple months ago, I got a text from him at like 12.30 a.m., the Pixies were playing in Paris, and Joey wondered if my daughter, Sunny, who actually lives in Paris, would like to come see their show. I mean, this was totally out of the blue. That's cool. And I don't know if you know this, but one of Sunny's favorite albums in the world is Doolittle from the Pixies. So she was ecstatic. Yeah, that is really special. And serendipitously, wasn't your wife Lois there visiting at the time? She actually came in that same day. She was very jet lagged, but they went to the show together and they even got to hang with Joey backstage afterwards. I mean, it was an incredible experience and really a touching gesture. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Jet lag, absinthe, and the Pixies. I mean, what's more Paris than that? That's right. Right. The nice thing is that rock stars are people too. And it says a lot about Joey that he would reach out to you in that way. In fact, the Pixies are on tour now across the U.S. through the summer of 2023. And maybe Joey will reach out to me too when the band swings through Portland. Hint, hint, Joey Santiago. All joking aside, I think his character really comes through in this great conversation we had with him that we originally published on September 23rd, 2021. Ah, we were so young back then. So let's just stop dilly-dallying. We even had hair. <laughs> we're not getting any younger. And send this monkey to heaven. <laughs> but first, listeners, if you're new to Too Much Having Perspective, check out some of our other episodes with Nancy Wilson from Heart, Butch Vig from Garbage, Dave Perner from Soul Asylum, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker from Slater Kinney, and many, many others. We even have comedian David Cross, Modern Families, Julie Bowen. So take a listen. We'll be right back with Joey Santiago. But first, a short break. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah. The rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. 
wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Joe, I want to start out by saying how we met, because I think that's kind of a weird, funny Spinal Tap moment. Do you remember at all? Well, we met at um, our kids' elementary school. Right. And I knew you as Joe, and we talked every day. And then one day, the girls wanted to get together, and so we went bowling. Mm -hmm. And you came a little late, and you said, yeah, I was in the studio recording. And I said, oh, yeah, you're a musician? He goes, yeah, I'm a guitar player. I go, what band? The Pixies. (laughs) And I went... Oh, you're Joey Santiago. I had no idea because I knew he was Joe Santiago. <laughs> it was such a far leap from there to there. But I remember that was so funny because we knew each other for months and I had no idea that you were in the Pixies. As you didn't know that I was in the Beatles. I did not know I was <laughs> recording at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just say, I love that story. I've watched a couple of the documentaries. I hear your bandmates call you Joe as naturally they would when you're just living life together. How do you think about the nature of personas in a band is Joey the guy that gets up on stage and is the the public version of Joe. Yeah, th- that is like almost like it. There's a backstory to it too. There used to be this this kid named Joey used to pick on me, and so I I stopped calling myself his fucking name. I, I guess I got my name back from this band, kind of like a. Fuck you. That is a great story. I guess I got to call myself Greg Angeli then, because he was my nemesis. Yeah. And I got to call myself <laughs> Dave Van Dries. Kind of makes you wonder why more musicians aren't named after their dads. <laughs> <laughs> Some people label you guys as punk, but punks are such fashion victims and you guys, no offense, seem like you could care less what you wear on stage, especially Charles. In fact, I read you were once kicked out of a punk club, Joey, for not conforming to their dress code. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was. I was. Uh, and I looked at the sign and it had so many rules for a, a, a damn punk club. And one of them was... Uh, no Izod. No, no, I mean, no alligator. That's what it said. No alligator. I was like, what? I, I think they missed the whole ethos of punk there, didn't they? I mean, the whole punks have, um, you know, they have an outfit. Like, they all look the same, you know? So what is really the point? It's almost like a uniform. There's a really cool picture, at least I thought it was cool, of Roger Daltrey, lead singer for The Who, probably from 77, 78, dressing like a punk. He had a wig on that had sort of spiky hair. He had something that looked like a safety pin through his nostril with a chain that then went to his ear. As you were saying, Joe, it's like it was the punk uniform as it had kind of already become stereotyped in the late 70s, kind of based on the Sex Pistols look or something like that. Yeah, and um, I think Malcolm McLaren even had a concept of an outfit for them. He had the clothing store. Yeah, exactly. And he actually got the look from Richard Hell and the Voidoids mm-hmm. in New York. You know, speaking of outfits, when we played at David Letterman, his comment was, I got one word for that band, outfits. Oh. <laughs> Maybe Letterman was actually Malcolm McLaren in a brown sport coat. <laughs> 
Joe, so you were telling me that your favorite moment in Spinal Tap is the Boston line. Uh, Boston's not a college town. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. You nailed it. I just came back from Boston. I never knew there were as many colleges in Boston as there are fireworks stands in Texas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, on my walk home from work, I would probably pass about uh, maybe 30 million. (laughs) (laughs) Give or take. (laughs) Five colleges per capita or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's colleges within colleges there, which is kind of frustrating. So you grew up outside of Boston, but you and Charles met at Amherst, right? Yeah, we were sweet mates in UMass. I visited Amherst the year that you were there, I think, 1983. And I started a food fight with dried rice noodles. And I heard like three years later, they were still finding rice noodles in the nooks and crannies of (laughs) where that battle took place. Did you ever find a rice noodle? Because that was mine. Mm -mm. No, I have not. You were just reenacting Animal House, Alan? This was a punk one. In Animal House, all the food is cooked. This was actually hard-ass dried (laughs) rice noodles. This could cause damage. So did you find that Charles and you were kindred spirits? Is that why you guys started a band together? Absolutely. You know what? When I went back to where I lived, my brother owns the house now. We went through my trunk, and I found the letters that Charles was writing me from Puerto Rico, all about starting a band. We went to college with an idea to start a band. He did, and I did. So it was just meant to be. And we picked Boston because it's close by. When you shared the story about you guys being in the suite, I was jealously thinking about I wanted that exact same thing going to college. I wanted to find that partner like you found in Charles. Yeah, I mean, I did. I wanted someone like that, someone that wasn't interested in starting a cover band or anything. You know, I was interested in making music, something very, very, very different. So, And why was Charles in Puerto Rico? Was he doing an exchange program? Yes, exactly. That's what he was doing. You know, he just wanted to go there, got sick of the scene. So, yeah, he came back and uh, I withdrew, which is not the same thing as dropping out, but it was, it's kind of <laughs> the your same. Parents. It's like, <laughs> hang on to my credits. I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Boston, okay, so he says that line about Boston not being a college town. Mm-hmm. And that's Ian Faith, the manager of Spinal Tap, putting lipstick on a pig, right? They go from 10,000 seat arenas to 1,000 person clubs. He says, well, our appeal is just getting more selective. <laughs> <laughs> Contrast that with the Pixies 2004 reunion tour. You came back and you were <laughs> more popular than ever. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think people recognized that we were influential, you know, and uh, a lot of bands had said it during our breakup. So that's probably the reason that people uh, were waiting for us. They're like, who's this band that inspired all my favorite bands, you know? So I guess I am kind of proud that we are one of those people that influence bands. A lot of alternative bands cite the Velvet Underground as uh, their influence. 
So that's great. So we're one of those bands that have a signature sound that they could just refer to. I could imagine them going to a studio and do something uh, Keith Moonish, do something Whoish. We're probably one of those bands. Do something Pixie-ish. Let's rip off the Pixies. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Kurt Cobain said he was trying to do when he wrote Smells Like Teen Spirit. In an interview, he said, and I quote, I was basically trying to rip off the Pixies. I have to admit it. We use their sense of dynamics, being soft and quiet and then loud and hard. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is said by Radiohead's guitarist, Johnny Greenwood. He said they had to become a keyboard band because they ran out of Pixies songs to rip off. And even Bowie was a big fan of yours. He covered your song Cactus from Surfer Rosa on his album, Heathens. Speaking of Radiohead, when I was working with them, Johnny had been playing guitar for maybe two years. Wow, really? And yeah, yeah, he was a keyboard player okay. originally. So he just he he just approached the guitar in a different way because he had started on a different instrument and he saw and heard the guitar differently. As I've been listening back to Pixie's music and your guitar pieces in particular, I was thinking very similarly, like the stuff you were coming up with was really like unpredictable, unorthodox. So I was curious about that. You know, how would you characterize the way you approach guitar? I try to play things as simple as possible. Other guitar players would probably think, why didn't I think of that? You know, you know, I want to be different and I like hanging on to a note as long as possible. That won't get in the way of the vocals and it'll be different enough if you want to like, hear the guitar and just wonder what the hell he's doing. That's the whole point. I think Johnny Greenwood would agree with that. The Radiohead lore is that in Creep, where there's that thing they call the chucker, right? Where they just go, yep. the story was that Johnny didn't like the song, kind of thought it was too ballady or something like that. So in the studio, he threw that in there just to mess it up. And it worked. It's good to have those uh, moments in music where it's only your secret, you know? It's like, why did I do that? It's because of this. I did it on one song, not too long ago, actually. I forgot the name of the song. I'll get it later. But um, I did a English siren. Ah. Ambulance or a police? Because this one punk pissed me off at a bar the night before and i wanted to do something to him you know because he touched me he shoved me with his shoulder so I, I was pissed and i was drunk and i wanted to do something to him but i did not i held off and the next morning they asked me what do you want to do i'll do this and i did a little sound emulated an ambulance. It was my fantasy that I curbed him and he got taken away. <laughs> I know that sounds very, very violent, but at least I did it through music and I didn't do it through real life. I love that story, Joey. And you said that's recently? Yeah, it was on the Head Carrier album. Let me see. Let me find it, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. While you're thinking of it, I just think that that just shows incredible uh, 
I mean, maybe a weird word to say, but just maturity, right? Um Chugalugga. Okay. That's the name of the song. And uh, yeah. So. Well, honestly, that seems like a good way to have it happen, right? A lot of other things could have gone wrong with unfortunate consequences. <laughs> yeah. The other guitar thing I was going to say was my very first job out of college. So I went to University of Wisconsin. Alan and I both went to University of Wisconsin. And one of the bands that kind of loomed large from the upper Midwest when we were kids was Cheap Trick. And Rick Nielsen, I still love that live version of I Want You to Want Me from Budokan. That is the best version. For sure. And just the way he plays, mm -hmm. right? He's not playing strummy guitar and he's not filling every space. He's just doing tasty things that bounce along on top of Tom Peterson's bass line and Bunny Carlos is just like so in the pocket with the drums and all that kind of stuff. You and Rick are very different guitar players, but similar sensibilities, I think. Like Surrender, the break. You know, it's two chord. Bam, 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 bam. You know, it's between the verses or choruses. It's just a little tag, and it's uh, two damn chords. It's so cool. I think the Pixies and Cheap Trick have a lot in common. Even though you're both firmly within the pop construct, and neither of you are doing anything revolutionary like, say, Beefheart or The Residence, you both have your own signature sound. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows a Pixie song, and everyone knows a Cheap Trick song. No one sounds like either of you. A big part of it is Charles's chord progressions. It has a lot of half steps and all this stuff that uh, drive me crazy. <laughs> I mean, I like the sound of it, but when I hear it, it's like, oh man, what what am I going to do here? <laughs> and um, yeah, and it was, sometimes we have pop chords in there. And catchy. Remember I dissed you for Toe in the Ocean? Because I'm like, what are you guys doing? This is going to be a hit. <laughs> it's so it's, it's so catchy and you apologized yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Loud Quiet Loud I think a 2004 documentary mm -hmm. on the Pixies reunion tour. And to be honest, it didn't seem like it was that much fun to be in, in the Pixies. Of course, you've got four people with different personalities thrust together 24-7 for months at a time. It's a recipe for disaster. And I think I read that Charles said, if we had only taken a break, we probably never would have broken up. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a truism at its finest. <laughs> it, it sounds like if we didn't break up we wouldn't have broken up yeah <laughs> sure and if he had of broken up the band in a newspaper article without telling you you guys wouldn't have broken up right right exactly but i know what he meant it's because we were releasing an album once a year and we never took a break in fact for trump lamont i needed some time for myself you know having toured a lot. I mean, I love touring, but I just was like, why are we doing this? Why do we have to do it once a year? There's no reason to do this. And that documentary, I think that basically sums up a lot of bands, I would think, you know, if you're a band like us. I mean, there are other bands that just go nutty. I was thinking that the general public can commiserate more with how it is to be in a band 
because they were stuck with their families in COVID <laughs> quarantine for like a whole year. But you also, in that documentary, you come off as the Derek Smalls of the group. You're the lukewarm water between Kim Deal and Charles. You were kind of like trying to keep everything together when it was obviously very challenging. It was just by default. That's it. David really keeps himself, really keeps himself. And I guess I make myself a little more available. That's about it, which is by default that I uh, did that. Maybe David's not actually that quiet. He just makes all your memories disappear because he's a magician. (laughs) (laughs) That could be it. You know, I was thinking about that. I watched Loud, Quiet, Loud as well. But I also found a documentary on YouTube from the late 80s. I think it was one of your European tours that were kind of like a bunch of home movies shot by your longtime lighting director, Miles Mangino. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that in that film, there were many scenes of you looking very happy laughing, mm-hmm. joking around, things like that. And then in Loud, Quiet, Loud, there was more tension. You were doing a film scoring project in between moments. It struck me as like the 2004 tour from a distance, which seems like a triumphant affirmation of your art and that you guys had really done something unique, yet you were all kind of suffering in a way. I mean, I don't know if the cameras had anything to do with it, Probably, but that's just the way we are. There was, um, I guess there was a bit of tension, underlying tension, maybe, that we weren't aware of that the camera captured. And I took on that film, not to get away from people, it's just I didn't want to get in that much trouble, meaning I didn't want to party too much, you know, because I was already doing that. And I thought, like, I need a project or else something terrible is going to happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Good survival instinct sure can come in handy. Like you were telling me that there were times when the four of you would just go your separate ways after shows, but you weren't always successful, right? Like that time you were in the hotel bar? Well, you know, I think we were in Belfast, and I wanted to just be by myself, go to a bar, and chill out, you know, find a dive bar. And thought I saw Kim just getting out the elevator. So I just booked into like an alley. And then I I found this uh, bar and then I sat down, had a drink, and then she walks in (laughs) and it's fine. You know, I mean, I love Kim and she went to the bathroom, came back and just slapped me in the face. That's that's what happened. And then just like the movies, pretty corny, the um, bartender poured me a shot. <laughs> Set him up, Joe. I think I got a story you should know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so obviously there are times that you guys don't get along, but it can't be like that all the time. Well, you know, it's not all the time. I guess I should clarify that. Right now we do get along. Right now, at this moment, we do get along. Of course, Paz, your new bassist, has been a good influence, right? Paz means peace, and right. she brought that along with her. Um, there are times when we will all go out to dinner together as a band. You know, when we entering the lobby from the bus, Charles would go, what are you doing for dinner? And we would go out, you know, 
pads and go, you know, let's get coffee tomorrow. We would do that. We don't necessarily do it often, but we have different interests when we go to the city. Paz likes to go to museums and stuff. I like to go on occasion. And a lot of times Paz and Charles would go together. Sometimes I would go later because I sleep later. I like to go to a park and take a nap. <laughs> God forbid someone finds me is like, you know, is like, oh, you're a vagrant. You, you, you don't have money? You're like, no, not on me. Not, not, not your currency. There is a special camaraderie on the road. Yeah. And I found a joy of being in the tour bus at the show and just rolling down the dark highways. Did Radiohead hang out together a lot often? They did. They, well, they did. did. And kind of by necessity. I mean, and again, I was with them on Pablo Honey, so it was still relatively early days, mm-hmm. right? But we all did spend a lot of time together. We did go out to meals and in small groups. I mean, Johnny used to like to go off and do his own mm-hmm. thing and on different adventures and going to music shops, you know, vinyl shops and things like that was mm-hmm. a big thing for him. But yeah, they enjoyed each other's company quite a bit. Ed and Colin and Jim Warren, the sound man who's still with them, they played bridge. They played a lot of bridge on the bus. Yeah, there was a lot of good times just hanging around his friends. I think we are all just introverts in that way. And it makes for more interesting conversation when we uh, get together. Like, what did you do today? You know, I mean, maybe my side won't be that interesting. You know, I took a nap outside. (laughs) (laughs) I slept in this awesome park today. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. We've talked with some of our guests about the relationship between creative tension and quality of music and edgy, turbulent, explosive stuff. And obviously the the Pixies are an example of that. You think that if you guys all got along perfectly, that your music would be as good? (sighs) That was the only way we knew how to do it. I mean, but during Surferosa and Doolittle, we were getting along really great. It wasn't until the last two albums, and it happens to be so that those are probably the less revered ones. So there might not be any truth to the tension thing. But I did see Monster, 
Oh, the uh, Ma- Metallica. Metallica, Metallica thing. Yeah, some kind yeah. of monster, right? Or yeah, some like kind that. of monster, and it just goes to show that a band doesn't have to hate each other to make good music. Yeah. What version of reality would come out in a modern Pixies doc? Today? Yeah, today. A little more joyful, but the backstage is just about the same as Loud, Quiet, Loud, you know? It's because we go to the show about an hour before we go on. So we're already in that mindset of getting into the zone, as they call it. We don't talk that much to each other just because we are getting ready. You know, we have something to do <laughs> in an hour. There's not much time for us to uh, say, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I walk in and David's already doing his... Uh, paradiddles, the warm-ups. Paradiddles and all that stuff. And Charles and Taz would be doing their vocal warm-up. And I would have a guitar and maybe go over one or two songs that trick me out at times, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you feel any nerves before you go on stage? Any butterflies? Things yeah, like I that? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone that we know in common, Joey, from years ago is Tanya Donnelly. Oh, yeah. When I was with Radiohead on the second U.S. tour, Radiohead was doing a co-headline with her band Belly. She used to throw up before certain shows because she would get so nervous. Uh-huh. And I was really surprised because she had a lot of performances under her belt at that point, yet it had an impact on her ahead of showtime. So I always thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've thrown up before a show. Huh. Uh, it, you know, nerves. It happens. It's not normal, but it happens. Alex just brought up Tanya Donnelly, who, along with Kristen Hirsch, made up the great band Throwing Muses. And I know you guys opened for them on your first tour, but by the end of the tour, they were opening for you, which obviously isn't the ideal way for things to happen. I'm just wondering how they took that. I would imagine they didn't feel too great about it, you know, because I didn't. I thought... uh, this shouldn't be happening at all, but it happened. And to such a great band too. I mean, that Kirsten Hirsch is not a slouch. She's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. That must've been a good tour though. That was a great tour. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of them. But really, that's a great pairing. That's a band that's, if I had to categorize it, they're really in your ballpark. They're very quirky. They are unpredictable. That would have been a fantastic show to see. Yeah both 4AD bands too and right. we were kind of like like-minded outside so another spinal tap scene that almost every band has experienced is getting lost backstage in Cleveland I read that you guys had a similar experience at NPR on your way (laughs) to the Tiny Desk concert. And I'm wondering, did you actually get lost in the parking garage, as they say, or were you just trying to avoid Terry Gross? (laughs) (laughs) Terry Gross, by the way, is not... She works out of WHYY in Philadelphia, not the NPR office. I'm just going to fact check you there, Alan, but uh, my apologies. It's not as funny when you do that, Alex. I know, I know. I'll try not to do that again. Sorry. 
There are times when uh, we do get lost, you know, but not to that extent where we're underneath the tunnel of the venue. So you were really lost in the garage? We couldn't find the dock that we were supposed to go into. Well, I'm going to develop an app specifically for musicians that is like Waze, except it, it, it only goes <laughs> 50 feet. <laughs> it helps them go 50 feet in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. Every tour manager needs that, Alan. I think you're onto something. <laughs> you guys are obviously loud, quiet, loud. You're known for dynamics. Do you think that being so dynamic makes you hard to dance to? what's that again um you know when the bass and drums are just pumping along it's it's great you know those are the first two things that get recorded we listen to it and it's like wow this is just groovy man and then we mess it up with guitars the groove i think charles wanted to do it but listen we're not the first ones to do the loud quiet loud moment you know um i mean Tchaikovsky did it with cannons you know what I mean? So. But the band Chicago never did it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> oh, no, oh. they didn't. There are a lot of bands out there that never really did it. It's just like one. I think big... it's hard if you have a brass section. It's hard to do. It's hard yeah. to do loud, quiet, loud with horns. Yeah. On Monkey Gone to Heaven, Black Francis says, rock me, Joe. Mm -hmm. Now, I've found that in rock and roll, when one guy calls out the other band member and it seems complimentary, it's actually passive aggressive. Like in Glass Onion, John Lennon says the walrus was Paul. Mm -hmm. He didn't really mean that. So do you think Charles was giving you a pat on the back there or a kick in the ass? Oh, my God. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) <laughs> now now you got me paranoid <laughs> you know yeah. going back to john lennon saying that paul was the walrus i looked it up and the life expectancy of a walrus is 40 years and john lived to be 40 so he must have been the walrus after all oh wow Ooh, so he's the walrus N- yeah no coincidence there no coincidence wow there. you know that's my least favorite song to play it's monkey Really? Why? Because you have to play it so much or? I don't know. It's just I just, I'm not fond of it to play. What are your favorite songs to play that you never get sick of? Oh, boy. Planet of Sound? The rest, really. <laughs> the rest. <laughs> the, rest <laughs> the rest of them, you know. Let me tell a story here. So in 92, I saw you guys at a medium-sized room at the President's Room in Milwaukee, probably holds 800, 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. And then later that year, saw you open for U2 at the Rosemont Horizon near Chicago. And prior, in the fall of 1991, I did my first ever tour as a tour manager with a band called the Bodines that you may remember out, oh, of, yeah. out of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And we were on the bus one night, pulled into whatever the next town was at 2 a.m., and... A bunch of guys were sleeping on the bus and a few others of us were going to go into the hotel and somebody put Monkey on the stereo in the front lounge and cranked it up. And that was the first time I'd heard it. (laughs) And it played through and then someone hit repeat and it played again and then someone hit repeat and it played again. So it played loudly five or six times. 
in a row and a bunch of us were dancing in the front lounge and it became the theme song of that tour, really. <laughs> oh, really? And, um, and there were some pissed off guys in the morning because they were woken up hearing it, but <laughs> we had a blast. So anyway, my question for you is, is it true that if man is five and the devil is six, mm -hmm. then God is seven? Absolutely. It is so. It has been said and <laughs> it is so. It is said. Anything we say is true. Got it. Okay, well, thank you for resolving that for me 30 <laughs> years later. That's been hanging with me for a long time. Does that include, I was looking handsome, she was looking like an erotic vulture? That'd be true, right? <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. Okay, <laughs> I have another burning question for you. How did the Pixies get Surfer Rosa into the stores with a picture of a nude woman on the cover, but Spinal Tap couldn't get Polymer Records to distribute Smell the Glove? Is that just an example of you guys being on the right side of stupid and clever? <laughs> well, it, aesthetically, it looked beautiful, you know. I mean, when we saw it, we knew it was kind of taboo, you know. But at the same time, screw it. It's just a piece of art. It looked cool. Was there any blowback? Do you remember any retailers that wouldn't take it? Or was there any trouble around that cover? No, they would put this, a sticker over the breast. Oh, that's really... It was just like accidentally they put a sticker and it just so happened to be covering yeah. the breasts. Mm -hmm. It's like you guys and two live crew, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite movies ever is Fight Club. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about having Where's My Mind as the last scene in that amazing movie? You know, I had a problem with Pixies when that came out. Like some kind of mental thing, getting pissed off, you know. Something that happened financially with the entity. And when I heard that song, a Fight Club, during a trailer before a movie, I left. Oh, you didn't know about it? No, no I, I didn't know about it, but I did just leave the theater. Yeah. But I saw it later, and it is a great drop. One of the great music drops out there. I'm not just saying that because I'm in the damn band. It's just because the acoustic guitar got introduced and the whole score was done by the Dust Brothers. So there's a lot of like electronic going on and then an acoustic goes on. One of the most, uh, let's just say violent. Uh, it wasn't the most violent, but you know, buildings were falling down. So Pretty violent. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie's violent. But a perfect loud, quiet moment cinematically too, right? Yeah. I want to ask one more question, Joey. When you think of the movie This is Spinal Tap, is there one universal truth from that film that stands out for you? Hmm. A universal truth. I don't like it when people go to my place or backstage and just pick up a guitar. They could look at it, but just to pick it up and start playing it, without asking me, that's just wrong in every possible fucking way. You know, it's like, wow, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. Wow, wow. Oh, is that your girlfriend? You mind if I, uh, you know, let me just... Uh... Is she vaccinated? Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't turn around, Joey. Say what you mean here. Well, obviously it happened before. Can you tell us yeah. the incident that that happened? 
Well, you know, it happened backstage. It happened when someone came over uh, my place. I just don't want to give any specifics here, but got it. It has happened, and I was surprised on how I reacted to it. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. My boundaries were getting really disrespected, so. I felt violated. I felt violated. That's, yeah, you clearly felt something visceral. That's what you're describing to mm -hmm. us. Did you say anything to the person or? No, I did not. And did it manifest in a British style siren the next day or how did it, uh, <laughs> right. how did it come to fruition? I talked about it later. It was like, what the I hell? See. What the hell was he doing? God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. God, you know. Yeah. Do you collect guitars that are from 1965 because that's your birth year? Yeah, I have two. I have a Rickenbacker 12-string. That's a 65. And I got my red guitar, ES-345. That's a great guitar. Yeah. Okay, Joe, do you have anything you want to promote? Your music, your artwork, your dance career, anything? <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. Social media channel? Oh, yeah, social media. Um Let's have people follow me on Instagram. And are you Joey Santiago on Instagram? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, Joey Red Guitar. It's uh, Joey. Don't touch my guitar. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Joey, don't even think about it. <laughs> oh, Joey Alberto Santiago. Wow. I'm really Got making it. it hard for people, aren't I? All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was so good to touch base with you again and reconnect. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this Too Much Epping Perspective rock and roll recreation. You can find all of our episodes on CastBox. Download the CastBox app or visit castbox.fm and tap the subscribe button to follow us there. This is Alex Hoffman. And I'm Alan Keller. Thanks for joining us on Too Much Epping Perspective. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap, and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Evergreen Podcast Network.